You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. For the first time in a long time, it's my pleasure to welcome you back to Fly in the Call, Canon Conversations on Music. 2021 was a bit of a weird one for me. Lots of highs, but also lots of lows. So sorry for the hiatus and then the unexpected second hiatus, but I'm super excited to be back. I have so much planned already for this year, and I'm starting off by sharing a few of the conversations that had been recorded before the hiatus and you know, are definitely still worth sharing now. Today, I'm talking to Josh Higgins of Refresh Records. They put out one of my favorite albums last year with Downhall's Proof. I think if I had to, you know, do a quick ranking of my top three albums of last year, it would be Still Hungry's self-titled, their second self-titled, which is just like this really cool, like indie, chill, kind of like a dark vibe, almost a little bit of a country twang to it at some points. Downhall's Proof would be number two. Uh, I mean, they just blew me out of the water, came out freaking swinging. It's like a totally heavier sound than what you're used to from the band, but they do it so expertly that you would think this was what they've wanted to do all along. I remember talking to Gordon about kind of the change in sound from the idea of playing like these DIY venues to realizing that they need to fill out, you know, actual theaters now or, you know, the, you know, bigger sized rooms. Um, And then I think number three would probably have to be Sincere Engineers Bless My Psyche. That album just has so much energy and it has like the raw punkness that is something that I truly love. It reminds me of like, you know, the classic days of, of org core. You know, I feel very much like, you know, Ladderman, which is a band that I've been really, you know, returning to lately. I do have episodes with both Still Hungry and Downhall diving deep on those records. And just a little hint, if you dig that Sincere Engineer album, you might want to keep your eyes peeled uh, to the podcast feed. Um, But yeah, Refresh Records, they had a huge year last year after kind of taking 2020 off to retool a couple things. Um, Some of their great releases include Bitch Seat, Totally Slow, James Barrett, Halogens, Gnawing, and plenty more. Their year is already off to a great start with the new single from Double Gainer that dropped the other day. They're certainly a label to watch. So it was my pleasure to talk to Josh about, you know, the start of the label building a community that retooling of the label that i mentioned and moving to cleveland which is an official you know it's been done now they are a cleveland label so without further ado here we go here's my conversation with josh from refresh records Six years of refresh records. Like, how does that, how does that feel? <laughs> feels good. Um, it feels, it's very exciting. Like it, it, it feels like over the last two years, we've really hit a stride and are heading down a path that I've been kind of trying to steer the ship towards for a few years now. And so 
yeah, I mean, the label's gone through a lot of different phases, well, not phases, but it's it sh shifted around a lot and kind of focused its energy a lot. And I'm real excited to where it's heading now. And I'm, yeah, each year is more, more exciting than the prior one. For sure. Yeah. I mean, this year has been like so killer with like bitch seat, hit like a girl downhaul, totally slow gnawing. Uh, James Barrett, I feel like you just announced one last week that I can't Allegiance. remember at the moment. Oh, yeah. There we go. So, I mean, can you, I guess, can you just like reflect a little bit on like this year specifically and why you feel like it's kind of such a group for the label? Um, I mean, I've kind of touched on it a few times before in other interviews and stuff. Like last year, I just took a pause with the label and, and focused on mental health. And, um, I think I was starting to just kind of grind down a little bit and like get a little bit in a rut and a little depressed in like personal life, um, not just the label, but it slowed me down with the label. And so taking that breather last year and like refocusing all the energy and focusing on my own, you know, life and making sure that I'm keeping a good balance uh, was a huge, huge improvement. And it allowed us to come back really strong this year. And in that time off, like we ended up connecting with new bands and and signing some artists, um, you know, Bitch Seat and Hit Like a Girl. And, and well, pretty much every artist that we've released this year, except for Gnawing and, and Downhaul. And um, yeah, it was just, it was a great reflection period for one, but also just a great mental reset. And it's it's caused me to also look around a lot and see like, okay, what are other labels doing that that we should be doing that, you know, there's a lot of peers that I look at that I see as like being more successful in some areas or maybe less in some, but like overall, like I wanted to understand better, like why we were doing things the way we were doing. And like, it started to feel a little stagnant before. So I wanted to start digging in. So I spent a lot of that time last year too, looking at um, the approach that some of our or our peer labels are doing and like, really making note to the fact that like, we've been really bad about like, just not being like a community. Like we've always, I've always been a behind the scenes kind of person uh, running the label. It's just my social anxiety. Like I, I've never wanted to be the face of a label or anything like that. I just wanted to like support bands. And um, I think that was actually becoming detrimental to the artists as we grew. And as we took on more projects, like we wanted to make sure that there was more of a community built around the label too, so that we can, introduce like people who are a fan of you know hit like a girl to bitch seat and they they start recognizing that community effort and everything so just been a lot of big changes in the last like year and a half or so that i, I think kind of helped us shape where we're at now yeah for sure like that community aspect isn't even something that i necessarily like would have you know said if someone was like oh how has refresh records changed but like i like now that like i hear you talking about it, i'm like yeah that totally makes like so much sense like i can tell you know just in the way that you kind of like have been presenting yourselves and the you know just like the kind of cohesion between releases and stuff too <laughs> yeah absolutely that, that's been a big focus this year too is just making sure that when we're timing things out it makes sense for the artists that we're working with like if we did bitch seat next to downhaul next to gnawing like that there's obviously crossover fans between them, but there, there's not a lot. And so we want to make sure that we were kind of connecting releases in a better, smarter way that, that benefits all the artists as well. And being able to like, you know, being at that point where we're now scheduling things a year out, it makes it a little bit easier to kind of fill in those gaps and make sure that everything is cohesive and flows well between releases and kind of keeps the hype going um, so that, you know, as one release is tapering off that hopefully they, check out the next thing that we're working on. And presumably if we've timed it well, then 
it'll be something that they're interested in anyways, because it's kind of a cohesive sound, I guess, in that sense. For sure. Yeah. And, um, you know, you mentioned like taking last year to kind of like take a look at the the other labels within the scene that you like look up to. Um, what were some of the other kind of like tips and tricks you kind of like uh, found your way into? So community was a big one. And that's always been a big one, in my opinion. Like some of my favorite labels are the ones that are really hands-on with their fans and everything. Like I will mention Joyful, uh, Joyful Noise Records any chance I get because I love that label and I love what they do. But they are so ingrained with their fans to the point of like sending out demos of artists that they're considering like i mean they work with deer hoof and and uh the melvins and big business and like joan of arc and all these like huge artists but when it comes to breaking out artists they're not afraid of that as, at all and it it boils down to like they've just got a great community that they love and they treat like family and you know being connected to people that way is really important, I think. And it, it made me love them early on. Like, even if I only end up liking like half the music, I check out every single thing they put out and I just, it draws me back in and um, it makes me feel like I'm part of the, that family. And so that was something I kind of wanted to replicate here, but then just other improvements that we could find along the way. Like we changed distribu- uh, distribution. We started looking at different paths for PR and uh, promotion and marketing and stuff like that. And we kind of just, We've always tested the water since day one on like anything we can, but I think we were starting to get into like a, a too much of a pattern. And I wanted to make sure that we kind of stepped back and said, you know, how can we approach this a little bit differently? I think it's been real fun just kind of, you know, picking brains of other labels too and talking with labels I respect and being like, hey, how do you guys tackle this? And like most of them are really open. If you just ask them, they're, they're willing to give you an answer. And just kind of just taking a lot of notes and learning from that. <laughs> nice. Uh, I'm curious, like looking back at like the the creation of Refresh, like what did that kind of did those planning stages look like for you then, and how have they kind of like changed over time? So early on, like this label was never meant to be a business in the sense that it is now. Like we were always just going to be like a a side project passion thing where we just put out some local bands that we like and just like real small. Like I know I had no intentions of doing it on, I mean, practically as a second full-time job and like definitely didn't have intentions of hiring anyone or anything like that. Like I always expected it to be a little thing. And so early on, like it was heavily focused on just like one charity and stuff. Um, Our first few releases were all benefit releases. I want to make sure that, you know, I didn't care about profit. I just wanted to put something back into the community by supporting an artist, but also supporting like local organizations and stuff. And then also when we did start signing some artists um, and some of them start getting bigger, we, we kind of quickly realized, oh, we need to do this proper. And so early on, it was very just ad hoc. It was just like kind of figuring it out. I mean, the Young Misser album was literally the first album we ever put out. And we kind of just went all in with that one and threw everything at the wall to see what stuck. And a lot of things different didn't. Like we tried radio, we tried press, we tried like South by Southwest and various tours and stuff like that. And uh, some of those things helped, some didn't. But I think early on was a lot of just like trying out different ideas to get a feel for them because I I never wanted to like go into a situation not armed and prepared. Like, I don't know. It's hard to explain. (laughs) I guess I, I talk to some labels now and like I'll ask them something like, hey, what do you guys do for like digital marketing? And you know, labels twice my size are like, well, we don't really do that. Like we don't have like any 
pattern for that. I'm like, really? Because that seems really important to me. And like, I don't understand it. So I want to reach out to other people. And so that's something that I'll go fish out and just try like, all right, well, let's try it for an album and see how it works. And at least then we can like speak on it more knowledgeably if, if a band wants to dig into that territory. And that's, I think we've always been that like exploratory way from day one. It's just that we've gotten more structured and, and, you know, better at it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. And what were some of those kind of like early milestones that like made you feel like, okay, I'm doing, we're doing like at least this part, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that Young Mr. album was a huge milestone for us because after six months, it just took off. Um, and it's still to this day, like the most popular release we've done. And um, I love Steven so much, like we still chat all the time and have done another or a couple of like singles and another album since then. He's done some stuff on his own, but we still chat like text, you know, once a week almost and um, just keep up with stuff because it his music helped grow refresh to where it is today and helped us sustain like taking on more artists and doing more together. And it's helped him kind of solidify his path in the music career versus um, just like doing graphic design and whatnot. So it's, that was a big milestone getting that album out and then having it be received very well um, kind of early on uh, beyond that. I mean, we've had some man milestones are a hard one, I guess uh, getting out to like, getting some artists onto some notable festivals like South by Southwest and Fest were big milestones starting to get like this year we hit a few where we finally got coverage from some outlets like Stereo Gum and Brooklyn Vegan that literally for the last five years didn't write a word about us no matter like how many times we pitched them and then out of nowhere they're covering every single artist we we put out and so that felt like a huge milestone <laughs> like, for sure. I was like, oh, cool. You guys went from not caring at all to like caring about everything all at once. And I'm, I'm totally into that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, another one from this year is, you know, I think you kind of briefly mentioned it earlier is like hiring <laughs> for the first yeah. time. Oh yeah. Yeah. That, that was a big one. And that was actually something like that. I looked at other labels and I was like, how is this label able to, to hire somebody? And we aren't, but it was just, it's just how you look at the money, I guess. And the profit and whatnot, like we reinvest i mean we've i've never taken a dime from the label we reinvest literally every penny of profit back into new music and so i just kind of stopped and slowed down and was like wait if we put out a little bit less music but bring on more people we could potentially put take that music further because it's less on my shoulders less you know stuff that like i can focus efforts in better places and whatnot so yeah bringing on victoria and kayla um, for marketing and art was a huge milestone too. And it was, it was really just looking at other labels and kind of being like, kind of reframing my thought of how I looked at our own label of just, Hey, we do have money. We just have always put it this way, but what if we just shifted it a little bit? <laughs> For sure. Yeah. I, I remember when you like, initially like tweeted the job postings you were like, okay, maybe I should have done that. Like right this way. Like how did that, I mean, I, I think it's interesting, like what that says about the music industry and jobs within it. And I'm curious, like how, what that process was kind of like for you. It was stressful at first. Uh, that, that happened a few times this year early on. Um, so we tweeted once about doing a comp and that got like 300 likes and hundreds of comments. And I was like, oh God, this is way more than I expected. And it was just like an off the cuff tweet. But then I also posted like when I was first, thinking about, hey, we need some help. I tweeted before we had a job description or anything, just like, 
I think it's about time to hire somebody to help out. And like just that one alone got like dozens of replies and probably a hundred likes. And I'm like, oh, okay. So when it came time to actually like put down a job description thing on the site, we got dozens of emails of really fantastic people with a lot of background and qualifications. And it, it, it does speak volumes to the music industry. Like there's not a lot of opportunities out there. And it feels weird being able to provide one. Like we're still not, I mean, we couldn't hire anyone with full time or anything, but even having the flexibility to hire like Victoria right now is on tour with, um, with squirrel flower. She plays bass and, you know, she's got her own project. And so she's got a lot of time invested in those things. So being able to work with her and like provide her a part-time job that is um, flexible and, and something that she can still get some skills and, and more knowledge in the music industry on is I think it's really wonderful and I, I, I'm excited to keep doing more together and I hope that, you know, over time we can extend it to something full time and, and grow together as a label. For sure. Um, and I mean, I feel like we've been talking a lot about the kind of like overarching stuff with Refresh, but I'm curious a little bit about kind of like your background in music and, you know, what, you know, where you started and kind of what led to the creation of Refresh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, at this point, um, I mean, I just turned 37, I think, last month. Yeah, 37. <laughs> and uh, I started in music here in North Carolina um, when I was like 13 or maybe 12. Um, well, I started I started listening to music that I listen to now, like a little bit earlier, because I had an older brother that would bring me out to hardcore shows and stuff like that. But uh, I booked my first concert when I was like 13-ish um, at a local venue here, and um, it was just like my crappy metalcore band, a uh, touring band that was dating my girlfriend's older sister, or one of the guys, not the whole band, but one of the guys was dating her. Um, and then some other bands. I, I don't remember who was on the lineup, but it was just like, I booked two nights in a row, one in Charlotte, one in Winston-Salem um, at a little hole in the wall venue up there. And it was the first two shows I ever booked. And I was like 13 or maybe just 14. And I loved it. I mean, it was fantastic. and the venue down in Charlotte told me if you ever want to book again, like you're welcome back. My mom worked the door that night. It was hilarious. Um, just to save us like $50 on, on the fee for the night. <laughs> but, uh, from there, I mean, it just kept going. Like I very quickly in my teens kind of realized I was not a musician. I just liked being on that, that businessy side of things. Um, so I did like CD distro and, and like, um, did a whole lot more shows, like moved up to Pennsylvania for a few years, did shows up there, helped book some tours on the East Coast. Um, and then eventually did like a small record label that put out like three or two seven inches and like a CD demo CD. And that was like maybe 2004 or five, something like that. And I loved it. It was great. It, it was like so much fun. But I was at that point, I was maybe like 20. And I had no idea what I was doing and I did it poorly. <laughs> and I very quickly like shut that down because it costs a lot to do a label, honestly. And, uh, and I, I was doing it wrong. So um, it was always in the back of my mind, but I eventually moved back to North Carolina and like kind of stabled up, got like a normal job, saved money and was just acting as a fan, not acting, but being a fan for a while and just kind of pulled it away from all the hands-on stuff, but um, it was always in the back of my mind that I wanted to do a record label again. I just wanted to get stable. And so that's where Refresh came from. It's just, I think five years after I moved back to Charlotte, I had the idea to start the label. 
So I registered the business and like a year and a half later is when I actually launched it and put out our first seven inch and, you know, that was six years ago. And I think today we have like 40, 45 releases or something like that. And uh, yeah, it's been fun. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And I mean, what were some of those kind of like early albums or shows that like really, you know, ignited your love for music? Oh man. Early on. So I, I mean, I grew up in a very Christian household. So I was in the whole like um, early solid state tooth and nail arrow with like five iron frenzy and um what was it mighty mighty no the christian one whichever the other christian ska band like <laughs> staves acre and strong arm and all that so like my brother was kind of bringing me bringing me out to those types of shows um the one that stood out in like the most from that early era was like uh hopes falls very second show which was at like a strip not a strip mall but like one of those strip businesses that's like you know you see a lot of like mechanic shops in them and stuff it's just garage doors it was like a church that was in one of those and it was hopes fall playing their second show zeo warlord and training for utopia all in the same bill and i was like i don't even know i was at most 13 at the time and it was just pure mayhem and i was just like i love this so much <laughs> and uh so I was a huge fan of like Hope's Fall from that point on. They were, you know, local artists. And so I got caught them a bunch of times. Um, so that's the most pinnacle one, I think. But there's been a bunch of standout ones like Mac Rock, which was a festival in Virginia. Mac Rock, like 20, 2004, I think, was a insane lineup of just so many great indie and, and hardcore artists. Um, and the whole festival is like $20 for the whole weekend. And just that was so much fun. But, Oh no, living up in the north though, we would travel all over. I mean, we were two hours from Philly and New York, so it was just nonstop shows up there. Yeah, I'm in Connecticut. So that's like I'm like two hours from Boston, two hours from New York, yep. three from Philly. I'm like when when COVID ends, I'm going to I know. be traveling <laughs> once again. <laughs> I'm excited to be in um to that we're moving to Cleveland because I've never been to Chicago, weirdly. And um you know, it's only like two or two and a half hours away or something like that. So I'm real excited to be close by. Nice. Yeah. Is there anything like specifically label wise that you're looking forward to, be, to being in more like the, the city area of Cleveland? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that, that one of the big reasons that we're going up there is, um, I mean, the first reason is family. Uh, fiance's um, got some family up in that area that, you know, her grandparents are getting older and can't travel as well. And she's very close to them. So we wanted to be nearby where we can visit them more often but another big part of it though is with the label and with us in general we both wanted to be able to focus more energy on on side businesses like the label cleveland i mean for one there's a lot of great music that goes through there and a lot of great music that starts there but then also like businesses here in charlotte running a business like if you want any physical location or anything like that it's extremely expensive extremely burdened with permits and fees and all sorts of mess and it's really there's just a lot of like upfront risk and so we've had the idea in the back of our head for a while that we want to do something in the music realm that is centered around the label and centered around music and you know bar and i don't know something and so going up there we're kind of already getting our gears turning of all right how can we do more like what's some next steps that we can do and you know, start looking around for some potential physical location type stuff that we can expand out into and do a little bit more. 
Nice. That sounds really exciting for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Looking at refreshes like back catalog or even just the stuff released this year, uh, it's like it really spans genres very much. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious, like what you kind of look for when you start working uh, working with a new band. That's hard to say. Uh, I mean, <laughs> early on, I always said we were a genreless label, and that's a big thing that I look up to with you know the labels I love is that they just put out the music they love and they don't care about genres but i felt like that was a very difficult thing um, especially over the first two years of that community aspect building a community around not having a real core sound is kind of difficult so we have narrowed down a little bit over the last three years and we've we've kind of brought it in a, a little bit um a lot of the bands run in the same realm even if they don't sound the same like they're bands that would be playing shows together anyways and have a lot of the same listeners so we do look for a little bit of cohesion and in that regard um we have turned down some artists that i think are fantastic um but that their sounds just didn't really mesh with us and i i felt like it would be too difficult to present them from our side like i I didn't feel like we would bring any value to the mix if we put it out but yeah um it's funny because every time i talk to somebody we're they look at what we put out in the last year and they're like, yeah, there's not really a genre. I'm like, well, shit, I thought it, there was, <laughs> it, it is true. There isn't as much like it is, you know, punk next to like indie pop next to, you know, fuzzy garage rock. And just, I think the cohesion is just the community aspect of who the fans are, who they're touring with that sort of thing. Like these are all artists that would any day of the week play a show with each other. And I think that's really critical for me is, if we are listening to an artist that I'm considering, I'll be texting it out to half the bands on the label being like, Hey, what do you think about this? Because I'm thinking about like sending them an offer or whatever. And I try to get that sort of feedback because I want to make sure that everybody is excited to be a part of it. Yeah. I, I feel like that's also kind of reflective of, you know, the state of music in general. Like I feel like over the last few years, I've started listening to like so much more music kind of outside the realm of what I used to. I feel like there's just kind of like this, expansion of like acceptance for different sounds and stuff too <laughs> yeah i feel like that's an age thing too like it's it's weird in my early 20s i was the guy who would get overwhelmed not overwhelmed get deep into like subgenres and like being able to like pinpoint like well because of this it's this and all that really nerdy stuff where it's like you get so entrenched in one sound that like you know everything about every artist in that realm which is awesome. Like we need people like that. But I think the older you get, the more you kind of look at it more at the trees for the or the forest versus the trees or whatever. And it's like, I don't really get down that deep anymore. Like I'll get into that that deep with an artist I really like and I'll start looking at who they play with and who they listen to and stuff like that. But I don't like get pulled into a genre anymore. It, I I think the genres um it's weird because I think all my favorite albums, especially the last five years, are ones that cross genres and kind of dispel genres in general. Just like, I mean, looking at that Turnstile record that just came out, it's how do you label that hardcore or whatever the hell you want to label it? <laughs> like it's, it's not. It's it's something that is many different sounds and many different genres. And it's like their audience might be primarily a hardcore audience, but that, that sound isn't. And I think that's why it's something that is going to stick. and yeah, that's something I probably would have hated when I was younger because I'd be <laughs> like, well, it doesn't fit. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like now for me, it's more just like 
does it have the energy I'm looking for? It's yeah. like, yes or no. Like when I back in middle school, when like emo was a bad word, I'd be like, well, I'm not emo. All music is emotional. Like that's stupid. And now it's like, well, yeah, okay. Does it have the emotion that I want? Does it have the energy I want? Like, that's all I care about now. <laughs> There's many artists that I did not like at all or recorded. And then I saw them live. I'm like, oh, wow, this is insane. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even somebody like, not even just in energetic shows, but like Matt and Kim, like, they were so poppy and silly and fun live that I was, I immediately was just like, I love everything about this band. I'm going to listen to everything from now on. And of course, from that point on, like when I listened to the recordings, it was linked back in my brain to seeing them at a live show. And so it, it, I liked it more. It, it's weird. It's funny how your brain kind of associates things. Yeah. Um, and another thing like I've seen you talk about multiple times is like switching over the band camp to I'll be everything being pay what you want. And how mm -hmm. that's kind of like really turned out to be very beneficial in the long run. I'd love to hear kind of like more about your take on that. Yeah. Yeah. And this is a funny, weird, touchy thing because it, I mentioned it and like, usually it kind of goes, you know, without much um, response, but every now and again, like, I think it gets posted on some forum or something. And like, we just get railed with people who are hardcore against it. And, <laughs> but yeah. Um, so a year and a half ago or two years, again, during this whole like changeover period of like rethinking how to do the label, I think I was funny enough listening to Top Shelf Records on other labels, other record labels podcast. And they were talking about their Bandcamp approach. Um, and I forget exactly what Kevin said, but it was something to the effect of like, you know, if people want to listen to music, there, there's many ways to listen to it, whether legal or not. Like, it, it doesn't really feel right to charge people for an MP3 in 2020. Like, um, so he was talking about how they give away Bandcamp codes all day, like for any reason. I mean, they've got so many, they just give them out. Um, I think they use them for like final inserts and stuff like that. And so that's kind of where we started. I was, I was like, that's a great idea. If you use it on a vinyl insert, then you're not just getting a follower for the label, but you're getting it passed through to the artist because, you know, with Bandcamp for labels, like the accounts kind of overlap so that if you have a release on an artist page, like any followers or whatnot goes to the artist um, and it, it benefits them in the long run. So that was kind of the core of the philosophy is like, okay, anything I do to improve this Bandcamp release is not just for us, it's for the artist for the next thing they put out and the thing after that and it's for generating more fans and followers to their content on on Bandcamp. so we switched to um all our vinyl inserts any download codes that we use all that stuff is now generated through Bandcamp. um we did switch to uh pay what you want on all digital um the only time we charge is a uh, one dollar during a pre-order period but that's just because Bandcamp doesn't want you to do free pre-orders um, but as soon as the album is out, we, we switch it back to $0. Um, and frankly, yeah, I, you know, we're still a young company, so it's, it's kind of hard to look year over year and all that stuff, especially when you're working with fluctuating artists, but we've seen a huge growth in Bandcamp overall. We get a lot more Bandcamp transactions, which means a lot more fans and followers for the artists, um, because, you know, 50 people spending an average of $3 is better than 10 people spending an average of eight dollars or whatever it is um so in the in the long run like it has generated more money and it has generated more followers for the artists and i think that's that's the important thing um 
they can go to Spotify and they can go to Apple Music and they could go to YouTube and listen to all this stuff for free. But I'd rather them go somewhere where they can know the next time a release comes out and they can get a message when the band puts out a, a new t-shirt or whatever. Like they can subscribe to that in extra information. I think that's what makes Bandcamp so critical and so important to kind of foster a community around. Yeah, I think that's like interesting. Like Band- I almost think of Bandcamp more as like a social media platform than a music platform in some ways. Like whenever I buy like if if an artist has something for free, sometimes I'm like, well, I could just, you know, give a dollar and then they'll have that extra little square. And then maybe that'll, if, you know, someone else sees that there's more squares, maybe they'll be more likely to check it out or listen to it or like. Absolutely. So how do you kind of like view that aspect of it? No, that's, that's full on. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm talking about. And, um, and that actually goes to another feature. Like if you, um, the people who do, you know, allow their profile to be shown on the square you can click on them and you can see what else they bought and you can see like i've honestly done some deep digging in the same way that um spotify works with like related artists i'll go on Bandcamp and i'll look at somebody like i'll click some profiles and i'll see what they they bought in the past and if it's all kind of in a certain realm then i'll start digging through and being like all right what have i missed then and i'll, I'll find new music that way and then like it's a great way to like explore music in a more granular way i think of um you're getting an actual fans approach and not like an algorithmic approach of just like yeah and then obviously there is the benefit too of just the more (laughs) more squares on a thing the more popular they look the more people want to check it out um so yeah we've got like a label subscription on bandcamp and i think that instantly populates like 15 people onto the to every release um that automatically get uh every digital thing we put out and i know that helps with the artists too so the second they announce an album they already have like a handful of fans that are already getting every single and every bit of news and whatnot um and have you seen like the change in the approach to Bandcamp uh affect anything on like the physical side of things no uh i have seen a whole lot more physical sales through Bandcamp. i think because we are focusing so much effort on it um which is fine uh <laughs> Bandcamp's fees can be a bit stiff uh or steep but um but it's fine (laughs) but i don't think it's had like any negative impact by any means i think it's just some people prefer buying there um band camp days definitely have been a huge benefit over the last year that's been great something that also stands out to me about refresh is i feel like with with all your physical products there's like a lot of like i feel like every vinyl that i have from refresh is like really well done and like i'm the, super excited to see the James Barrett album once that's out. Um, and I'm able to get my hands on that. Uh, can you talk a little about kind of like that aspect of the label and how you kind of like approach that side of things? Yeah. Yeah. So I love print stuff. I've always been a physical media nerd. I used to work at a print shop that made, you know, posters and flyers and, and banners and all sorts of stuff. So when it comes to making products, like I love it. So we do some screen printing in house. We make tapes in house. We, printed shirts, album covers, whatever. But from day one, it's been a big, important thing to me that any product we put out looks professional. Like I love DIY demos and stuff like that. I've, you know, bought many over the years, but I wanted to make sure that like from the get go that we just had a standard of quality that was a little bit higher than that. So even when we go with like the really small run releases, try to make it really nice. Like we've done 
Cusco did like a fest seven inch lathe cut and we screen printed the B side and like made custom artwork for the label and stuff. And it's all little things like in the long run, if you have the skills, it costs practically nothing compared to um, uh, doing it like with spray paint or, you know, really DIY. So it's just using my print background and my, my print nerdism has like made a key. Every release that we have, like um, I think of the vinyl we've put out, like half of them have come to us as just like a, a digital cover. And then we have to work with the artist to come up with the full packaging and stuff. And nine times out of 10, they don't really know what they want. So I ended up like, I think at this point, probably like 40% of our releases I've done the layouts on and like come up with the packaging to complement that and just work with them to like, make sure that everything is cohesive and looks good and like complements the vinyl colors and variants. And like, we're picking out stuff that looks great because those are the things that kind of geek me out <laughs> <laughs> yeah i feel yeah um i feel like even the the like test press covers for the the private stash stuff that you put up recently like those look like so clean and nice compared to just like a white uh cover with like you know handwriting on them <laughs> yeah early on i was like getting um real thick plastic like the the ones that you use for picture discs and i was putting like a little sticker in the corner but then i learned that those are actually really bad for vinyl they cause like off gassing so i was like well i don't want to send people out with test pressings that are going to off gas so i didn't know what to do so for a few years i didn't do anything until um i think i saw like uh big scary monsters or something did a stamp on one of theirs and i was like oh yeah stamps i mean stamps like it costs like 20 dollars to get a rubber stamp made and then that's an infinite number of jackets that you can stamp them on <laughs> so we just took that approach and um i love it it it, it uh it gives fans something that looks better and it also makes it easier for us to track because you know last year we pressed or over the last year we pressed at like six different plants so all the test pressings come in and they don't look the same and like some aren't labeled and some are and it's like all right i need some system so i can keep track of this better internally <laughs> and i mean with the, you know so many releases at this point i'm curious how you kind of like handle the kind of like archival side of things as far as like organization and stuff I am a very organized person on my computer, less so in person, like with, with uh, shelves and stuff like that. But on my computer, everything is broken down pretty well on Dropbox into like release folders by release, like catalog number and stuff. And the, it's, it's kind of anal at times. So it's, it's easy to keep track of all that side of stuff. And I've got like Excel documents of every ISRC code and every, you know, a master list of every single unique merch item we have with like an internal ID that I use for tracking so that when I see it on a sales report, I can just be like, how much did this shirt sell? <laughs> Since we don't have UPCs because we don't, well, I mean, we do on some things, but not on everything. So it's um digitally pretty well organized. Um, or so I thought until we brought on a team and then I quickly realized that a lot of stuff was still kind of not well laid out for other people to get involved in so we've been making it better and making a lot of our processes more team-based and more online in person though it, it's a mess <laughs> <laughs> i have like a packing station that is like a four by four expedite from ikea that like i try to keep you know one half box of each lp in and like some seven inches and stuff and i try to refill those but then i mean we've been doing this for six years and we probably have a couple thousand records in boxes throughout the house um and our house is not the biggest uh so 
it 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 can be hairy um keeping track of all that stuff now now that we're making larger pressings and doing more frequent uh releases i have been kind of redressing that a little bit too and trying to figure out how to automate it a little bit better so that you know at the end of the year if i have to do an inventory count for tax reasons or whatever i'm not like pulling out every single box from everything and like digging through them it sounds like that'll be the most fun part of the move <laughs> yeah yeah 100 having like a basement that we can move records into and hopefully eventually having space that we can move them into um but yeah i'm very excited about that aspect <laughs> nice oh uh, and then I like to wrap up every episode the same way, which is just by asking for a piece of advice or something you've been thinking about lately. I feel like we already hit on a lot. So uh, I'll leave the floor open to you to see what, what other little kernel you can pick out. <laughs> so I said this the other day, and this is very relevant just to me, and I'm sure plenty of others, but uh, don't add your family on social media. <laughs> that is some good advice for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. nice. I have upset some family members because of vaccines and our upcoming wedding. So, oh <laughs> yeah, well, terrible, funny. terrible advice. But, I mean, good. It can be good and bad, but uh, <laughs> terrible way to end the show. <laughs> you you got to do it with your comfortable with. I think that's that's the uh, that's the underlying advice is do do what's right for you. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Nice. Um, I mean, is there anything we haven't hit on about the label that you've been like really wanting to get out there? No, uh, just keep tuned in. We're, we're constantly looking at new things to do. Um, Victoria and Kayla are, are rapidly taking their roles and, and expanding on them and doing really cool things. So we've got some new artists to announce. We've got compilation in the making that is really freaking cool that I'm excited about that um, Victoria has been pioneering. Um, and next year, I mean, I think through like summer of next year, we're, we pretty much have a packed calendar. So it's going to be, we're going to be running nonstop for a while and I'm really excited about it. So keep an eye out. <laughs> I know I said it at the top of the show, but it seriously feels so good to be back. I love being part of this community, using my small platform to help boost the band's labels or whoever else in the music industry that I'm really passionate about and think are doing amazing things. My whole goal with this podcast is to make more fans for those people. Thanks so much to Josh from Refresh Records for taking the time to talk. It was truly a lot of fun and I think it was a really great conversation. It was the first label I've ever had on so I think there's a lot of good information there and if you're thinking about starting a label he's certainly someone who would be happy to you know give you any advice or information and that's just another reason i'm so excited to be part of this community so be sure to go give them a follow on bandcamp follow them on twitter they have a lot of stuff coming this year that you're really going to want to hear i'll catch you back next thursday right here with another brand new episode flying the call is brought to you by sound talent media a special thank you as always to the alternative for helping to promote the show jariah for the theme song and michaela jane for the artwork you can keep up to date by subscribing to the podcast and following the show on Twitter and Instagram at FlyInTheCallPod. Feel free to email any questions, comments, or other feedback to me at FlyInTheCallPod at gmail.com. I hope your 2022 is off to a great start.
Hey friends, my name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Again.